today. I'm reading Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to which the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to into impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I'm not sure about you, but I'm pretty guilty of ordering books online, right? Ordering them off of Amazon, or even sometimes reading them on the Kindle app on my iPad. And there's something just really oddly satisfying about being able to see that little percentage in the bottom corner and be able to know how much of the book you finished, how much you still have left. But there's also something super rewarding about being able to hold a real book in your hands and getting to flip through the pages, getting to mark the spot um, that you want to come back to, getting to highlight, getting to underline, and really be completely immersed in this book. So to ease my guilt of buying books online or reading on an iPad, I found myself perusing the aisles of the Barnes & Noble on Pearl Street. And I picked up a book that I'd been seeing a ton of on my Twitter feed. It seemed like one out of every three of my friends on Twitter was reading this book and posting quotes of this book. And they all seemed pretty great. And so the book was Everybody Always by Bob Goff. And I had heard Bob Goff speak at um, the Orange Conference a while back, and I thought, well, between all these great recommendations from friends and knowing um, and hearing him speak before, this would probably be a really great book. So I picked it up and I started reading, and I found out that beyond supporting my local bookstore, Barnes & Noble, I was also surprised to see that the proceeds um, from this book, Everybody Always and Love Does, go to help children become educated in areas of conflict. So I felt really good about myself buying this book. I felt like every Kindle book read was erased. Um, in one of this, these chapters, um, it really struck home for me. I was reading through this book and I laughed, I cried so many times, I was weeping over this book, it probably has tear stains in it. And I realized why so many of my friends were tweeting about it. I finally had to put my highlighter down, 
and just completely realized that every single line in this book was quotable. And you may be thinking, is this a plug for this book? It is a plug for this book because it is so incredible and it has such a Jesus-centered way of loving that I think it's something that we should all be reading and thinking about and going to our Bibles to understand. So in one of his chapters, Goff shares a story about a guy named Carl. Carl was everyone's favorite person in high school. He was super goofy, he was handsome, he had a lot of friends, he was the guy all the girls wanted to get with, and he seemed to have it pretty much all together. And he did have it all together. Him and his friends were always down for the next prank, though. They were really keen on pranking people or pulling jokes, um, and so they were always planning, what's the next thing, what's the next thing? They had a daily um, trick or prank during the summer. And you see, Carl could really hold his breath for a super long time. So what they would do is at the local lake or the local pool, he would dive in and then he would come up from the water, but he would come up facing down with his arms spread, looking as if he had drowned. And so this was to get the cute girl lifeguards to come rescue him, and all his guy friends thought it was just the best prank ever, and he thought it was the best prank ever. And so they just, they were always looking for the next time they could prank someone new who hadn't seen this joke. So one summer, he was at this new lake um, with his friends, and across the way, on the end of this dock, he saw two new girls. So he thought, this is the perfect opportunity. So he's talking to his friends, and he goes, oh, wouldn't it be so funny to scare and hopefully impress these girls if I were to run out on the dock, do a leap, and flip over them and jump into the water? And his guy friends were like, yeah, they were cheering him on. They were ready to see this happen. And so Carl takes off running. He runs, 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 and he has just enough time to do a flip and give these girls a huge upside-down smile as he splashes and dives into this water. His friends come running after him, laughing and thinking this is just so great. And it seemed as if Carl was pulling one of his usual stunts where he floated up, arms spread wide, face in the water. Until after a while, his friends realized this is much longer than he's ever pulled this prank. His friends jump in the water after him, and when they jump in the water, it only comes up to their waist. And they realize that he had just dove headfirst into about three feet of water. And this was not just his usual prank. Carl had severely damaged his spinal cord, um, and it changed his life in a blink of an eye. He would no longer be able to walk, be able to talk, or pull any more of these outlandish pranks that he did before. The things that still worked, his mind still worked, um, his eyes still worked, and his tongue still worked. And so they were able to make a special vehicle for him that he could steer with the use of his mouth to be able to get himself around and communicate. And so as I was reading this story, I thought to myself, how would I feel if I was put in Carl's place? I think I would be very dramatic and think that my life was completely over. But somehow Carl was able to put his trust in Jesus and he decided that he could still live a full and meaningful life that could change the world by using just his mind, his eyes, and his tongue. The thing that baffled me the most was, 
Bob Goff met Carl in law school. Carl even finished the bar exam before Goff. He had five cases go to the California Supreme Court, and he won all five times. He has had more than 100 published decisions that have shaped the laws of justice and victims' rights, affecting millions of people. I tell you this story because today we're talking about slavery, and Carl was a slave. But not a slave in the way that you might think he was a slave, he was not slave to this horrible situation, but he was rather a slave to Jesus. Slavery is something that we as a nation um, still struggle with and deal with on a regular basis. And it might not be as visible or as prominent, but nonetheless, we have a severe problem. Um, there was a journalist that wrote an article for ESPN called Human, Traffic Human Trafficking is the Super Bowl of Suffering. And he writes, although accurate numbers are hard to calculate, it's estimated today that there are between 26 and 28 million human slaves. Modern day slavery is bigger today than in the entire history of global slavery between 1600 and the end of the Civil War. Those numbers are baffling. And as Christians, this should be something we should be aware of and also involved in bringing relief to those who are enslaved and trafficked right in our own state of Colorado. Many of us don't believe that we have seen slavery firsthand. And I want to pull us closer to our text um, and realizing that Paul informs us that we're all slaves in one way, shape, or form, every single one of us. He says there are two general categories for this slavery. We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. Now, I'm not sure about you, but for me, this idea of having to be a slave to anything makes me feel uncomfortable. I want to have my freedom, and I want to be able to have my own decisions, even if it's for something good. And you see, Paul gives us this good news that we have been set free from, from sin, and we are no longer slaves. We are no longer belonging to that life of sin anymore. But that doesn't mean that we're free agents. Being set free from sin means that we are slaves, or in a more general and nicer term, that we belong to righteousness. I tell you this story about Carl to show you the full spectrum of slavery. You could say Carl was a slave to his own decision to jump into that lake that day, or he was a slave to the circumstance and the effects that it had on his life. You could say he was a slave to his body being locked inside of himself, but instead, Carl chose to be a slave to righteousness, to Jesus. He decided not to belong to his decision or to his circumstance or to his body, but to belong to God. When Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under law but under grace? By no means. Paul is talking about our identity and the identity we choose to live under. Carl could have easily had a major identity shift when he could no longer be the person that he used to be or do the things that he used to be able to do. But because his identity was in Jesus, it stayed solid. Although many aspects of his life were bound by the sinful world that we live in, he was free. He chose to live a full life and to not let sin take hold of him even more because he was under grace in the big picture of things. But to live under grace at every moment. 
Carl chose to live a life of freedom in the most enslaved time of his life. The problem is we don't know how to live free all the time. We're kind of like the Israelites. So when Moses brought them out of slavery, they panicked, right? They had belonged to Pharaoh for so long, they had no idea what it looked like to belong to God. They didn't always trust the process. They didn't always trust the journey from Egypt to the promised land. They experienced a kind of Stockholm syndrome where they were so attached to Pharaoh and this old way of life, and they almost felt affection for it. They missed it. They yearned it when they were wandering in the wilderness. So I have a question for you today, um, and they're in your worship guides, and if you don't have a worship guide, you can feel free to raise a hand and we'll make sure you get one. Thomas will make sure. The question is, much like the Israelites, do you ever feel attracted to say a slave to sin, and why? What is it that makes us have an affection or even long for our old lives to slavery to sin? Why is it so comforting? I personally think it's because it's such a big part of who we are. We've caused it to become our identity. And who we are is shaped by those experiences and leaving, leaving them behind is really difficult. There is comfort in what we're used to even if it isn't good for us. That's why it's so hard to kick a bad habit even if you know it's good for your health. That's why it's so hard for me to get to the gym even though I know it's good for my health. When Paul calls us to be slaves to righteousness, it's a call to revisit our identities and what is fueling our identities. Who are you letting define you is the big question. Are you letting sin define you or are you letting righteousness define you? Another question I have for you is, who do you find your identity and sense of belonging in? And how has that identity and belonging shaped your journey with Jesus? At the end of this chapter um, that Goff writes, he shares about how Carl lived his life as a slave to righteousness. He lived free from his current circumstances because there was so much more. He writes, people have developed People who have developed a friendship with Jesus are be and are becoming love aren't immune to life setbacks. They have just as many as everyone else. Sometimes I wonder if they have a few more, but I haven't tried to count. People like Carl have found something many of us are still looking for. He knows that he is neither defined nor limited by his circumstances. He sees power in his brokenness and opportunities in the opposition he faces. Carl's not stuck trying to figure out why this thing happened to him. He's too busy celebrating other people's lives and making things happen for them. People like Carl don't just think about what they've lost. They think about what they'll do with what they still have. And the answer is much. When you live as a slave to righteousness, as a slave to love, as a slave to Jesus, your eyes are not fixed on those circumstances anymore. Any of the circumstances that you find yourselves in, as enslaving as they might feel. You are no longer a slave to sin, and that means not letting the effects of sin affect you. Being a slave to something really equates to a sense of belonging. 
Do you choose to stay a slave to Pharaoh because it's what you're used to? Do you choose to stay a slave to sin because it's what you're used to? Do you choose to focus your eyes on the circumstances or on the situations or on the people that are harming you? Do you choose to belong to what holds you down or do you choose to belong to Jesus? It's been said that we will become in our lives who the people we love most say that we are. So who's been speaking into your life lately? There are always going to be a ton of voices that we hear all the time. There are going to be voices cheering you on, encouraging you, and celebrating your accomplishments. But there are also going to be other voices. There are going to be voices that point out your flaws and your mistakes, voices that make you second-guess yourself, voices that are discouraging and are putting you down. And sometimes that voice is even your own. It's important to not let any of these voices be the voices that you belong to, that you're slave to. You don't want to allow voices of praise to cause you to become so full of yourself and squash out any humility. But you also don't want to let those other voices beat you down and paralyze your potential. In other words, don't let your highs be too high or your lows be too low. The voice that you belong to is the voice of Jesus. There's a song we sing here in Boulder, and it's a reminder that we're children of God, that we belong to him, and that we are who he says that we are. And it's the song we're going to sing today, so I'm really happy about that. One of the lines from the song goes, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me, I'm a child of God, yes I am. And <clears throat> this song was also one of the theme songs at Glacier View Ranch, and I don't know why I know that at all, but I do. Um, and I went up to visit Kiefer one night, and it was one of the last nights of that week of camp, and it was, I think it was tween week, so it was a bunch of really young adolescent kids. And when it, um, when it came time to the to sing the theme song, the leaders, the staff had been inviting kids to help with certain songs and with the motions up front if they knew them. And then they said, if anyone knows this theme song, just come up. And the entire camp was on stage. It was crazy to see. And there were just rows weaving back and forth of campers and staff um, with their arms around each other, swaying back and forth. And you see, I'm a very emotional person, but I can usually tell when I'm about to get emotional. It starts welling up a little bit. You can feel the tears kind of coming. And so what came as a shock to me is that as soon as these kids were singing, in my father's house, there's a place for me, I burst into tears. I could burst into tears right now just thinking about it. But I burst into tears because I started thinking, in this moment, there are these kids here singing this song, claiming that they know they are a child of God, claiming that they know that there's a place for them, and thinking to myself, many of these kids might not have a place anywhere else. They might not have a place at home or at their school. They might be left out or bullied. They might not have a place in their friend group um, or in their families even. And it just stirred up so much emotion in me that we can claim that promise knowing that God has a place for us but it's easy to feel like we don't always belong or to feel like the Israelites. Think of how much 
and how hard it must have been for them to wander around in the wilderness, to have no place to really call your own. In Exodus chapter 25, God is talking to Moses, and he says, I want you to build a sanctuary so that I can dwell in your midst. It was mobile so it could move with them. They had a place to belong with God. As the kids at camp sang, they sang those words with so much power, knowing that with God there is for sure no questions asked a place for them. It's something we all need to do. When we say we're no longer slaves to sin, we need to believe and act like we're slaves to righteousness. And when we're slaves to righteousness, we live our lives belonging to God. If you've been feeling anything like me lately, there are probably many things that you feel like you're slave to lately. Maybe you're feeling a slave to time, or a slave to stress, or a slave to people or situations. Maybe you feel slave to the negative voice that's inside your head. Maybe you feel slave to a bad habit or addiction that you have. Maybe you feel slave to a disease or an illness that's crippling your body and making you feel locked inside yourself. Maybe you are slave to bitterness or resentment. For me, I often find myself on a daily basis being slave to my idea of how things should be or how a situation should go. And when things don't go quite that certain way, I fall into being a slave of feeling inadequate. Today I challenge you to find your belonging in Jesus, to belong to him, to be freed from belonging to sin and the pain and the situations that it puts us in. And there's freedom in belonging. I found out that last month, Carl passed away. Um, and there was a message that Goff posted on Twitter, and he said, sending love and respect with a grateful heart to Carl's family and friends with the news of his passing. Unable to walk, he navigated his entire life with love. There is no need to be slaves to sin anymore. There is no need to let our circumstances control how we live our lives. So may we take a cue from Carl and navigate our lives with love. The end of Romans chapter six reads, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May we live full lives believing and living and understanding that we belong to Jesus.